Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. I'm Jeremy Rausch. And this is a weekly history podcast where we deep dive into the bizarre stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. So I thought that I would try something different for an intro this week, since I feel like I'm usually really awkward in intros and don't know where to start. This isn't helping. (laughs) So it's still awkward. So my idea was to do like a little quiz where there's a lot of stuff we don't know about the American or American presidents. Mm -hmm. There's 45 of them and all 45 of them have been a little weird or at least had something weird happen to them. So I figured to start off the each episode, I will ask a little trivia question about a U.S. president, and then I'll give the answer at the end of the episode. Is this going to be multiple choice? No. Uh Uh-oh. There's there's (laughs) 45 multiple choice options. (laughs) So From A to AAA. (laughs) (laughs) So, and you have to listen to the whole episode to figure out the answer. Or I guess just to skip ahead and try to figure out where I say it at the end. I feel like you should just but randomly don't do that. Th- you should randomly throw the just if in. people start just skipping to the end, I'm because they only come for the American president history quiz, then I'll start putting it in the middle somewhere. Weird. Hidden. But anyways, this week's question is which US president was offered a bulletproof vest? When they were newly invented, days before he was shot. Well, that really limits it down. Yeah. Off the top of your head, you don't know. I do. Anyways. Can I guess? No. Oh. Not yet. You can guess at the end. Okay. So. (laughs) Cue intro music. So, you ready to get into... This week's episode? Absolutely. Okay. Carrie Amelia Moore was born in Garrard County, Kentucky on November 25th, 1846 to her parents, George and Mary Moore. George had developed several hundred acres in Garrard County into a large farm and cattle operation, and he used slaves to work the land. Carrie loved preaching, even as a young child. When she would find a dead mouse or bird on the farm, she would gather her siblings, the slave children, and neighborhood kids to attend a funeral for the animal. Texas. So, sorry to anybody that's listening. We have a lab English pointer mix named Texas, and he likes to sit with us when we record, and sometimes he makes lots of noises. So if you ever hear hear loud bumping noises, it's probably Texas. Bumping into something. Yeah, or just wagging his tail on the table. So we blame him. Yep. Send all of your complaints to Texas. (laughs) So anyways, Carrie would like gather all the kids to preach Uh to give funeral to dead animals because that's normal for a child to do. Yep. So she would preach at the funeral, but sometimes she would get so dramatic talking about hellfire and and eternal damnation, because she was a fun preacher, (laughs) that she would scare some of the younger kids and they would have to cover their eyes and ears. (laughs) Carrie also really adored her father, 
so much so that she even filed her own teeth down to match her dad's that had been worn away from using a corn pipe his whole life. Wow. So. That's dedication. She looked probably pretty great after doing that. Yeah. (laughs) Carrie was... It's like brushing her teeth. Kind of. With a metal file. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know how far she filed them down. I hope not too far. Yeah. But you see pictures of her, and she's kind of a scary-looking lady. Oh, really? Yeah. She's not not what you would call attractive in the uh, traditional sense. Mm-hmm. So, Carrie was George's favorite child, but as she got closer to puberty, he tried his hardest to change her from a tomboy to a proper lady. Mary, Carrie's mother, was not as close to Carrie as George was. Mary forced Carrie to sleep with the slaves and eat with them for most of Carrie's childhood. And she would talk in her memoirs about how she was basically, you know, saw the slaves as almost like her parents, like some of the slaves as some of her parents, like parental figures. But she was also like super racist because she was also grew up white in the South with slaves. Yeah. So it's this weird relationship. Yeah. Shithead, I think, was the term we used. Yes, I believe that is the... About Aang and Chang. Yes. So, Mary, Carrie's mother, suffered from mental illness and would... Which, Aang and Chang is a previous episode. Yes. Go check it episode out. Episode 16. Siamese Twins. Siam, I am. That is not the title we used. That's the one we should have used. So, Mary, Carrie's mother, suffered from mental illness and would sometimes believe that she was Queen Victoria. Oh. Yeah, so cool mom. Super cool. Mary had George build her a carriage that she would ride around in on the farm with a driver wearing a top hat and a young male slave that would ride on the back and then would jump off to open the gates. And she would just, like, wave to the slaves working in the fields as she was dressed up and riding in her carriage and thought she was Queen Victoria. During the Civil That's uh, a little narcissistic. I just... Yeah, I don't know exactly what's going on there. It uh, seems like some schizophrenia, yeah. psychosis. Yeah. She was not a well lady, like, yeah, mentally. mentally well. Yeah. During the Civil War, George moved his family around to several different states, including Kansas, Missouri, and Texas. The family had to give up all of their slaves due to emancipation after the war. Oh, man. Bummer, right? And so. They lost all their slaves. It made it really hard to upkeep the farm. They ended up losing a lot of money. Yeah. Kind of like Chang and Ng in that previous episode. <laughs> yeah. After he They would, invested in the Monopoly yeah, money. Yeah, if you were on the side of the Confederates, you, tend, you tended to lose a lot after the Civil War was yeah. over. Pretty broke. Yeah. And Mary was obviously very mentally ill, so Carrie had to take over looking after the house and the small children. In November of 1865, Charles Lloyd arrived at the new Moore Farm that was located seven miles away from Peculiar, Missouri. Before the Civil War, Lloyd had been a teacher while also studying medicine and then served as a doctor and captain for the Union during the Civil War. Lloyd told Carey how he narrowly avoided being court-martialed when he disobeyed a colonel's order to punish some of the Confederate patients in his care. After the Civil War ended, Lloyd was looking for the perfect town to set up his medical practice and decided to dis- to go and teach at various towns until he found the one that he wanted to settle Start, down in. Yeah. 
He had come to the Moore farm to look for a teaching job since the Moores had an established farm and several school-aged children. The Moores allowed Gloy to stay at the farm while he taught children in the surrounding area, including some of Carrie's younger siblings. Carrie and Gloyd began to develop a relationship. Can can we just pause for a minute? Sure. Are you are you slurring his name? Gloyd. <laughs> his name is Gloyd. Well, that's his last name. His first name is Charles. Charles Gloyd. <laughs> it's G L O Y D. Yeah, like Lloyd, but with but, a G. But with a G. <laughs> that's his actual name. Okay. All right. Just I Lloyd. Was, <laughs> want to make sure <laughs> just I was hearing you correctly. Like a yeah. good name. So, Carrie started falling in love with Gloyd. She saw him as this educated, well-traveled man. But Carrie's parents didn't think Gloyd was an appropriate match for Carrie. And Mary even forbade Carrie from talking to Gloyd. Oh, man. Is that the wrong move, then, on a mother's part? Yeah. I mean, anytime a mom says no, yeah. that's exactly what you're going to do. Yeah. So maybe she Especially really when it secretly likes Gloyd? Yeah. Mary did? Oh, uh, no, I don't think so. Um, the reason that Carrie's parents didn't want Carrie to be in a relationship with him is because they saw that he was obviously a heavy drinker. Ah. Yeah. And they were uh, very religious mm-hmm. and very against drinking. Alcohol. alcohol in general. And so with him being a heavy alcoholic, they were like, eh, this that's, isn't, that's a, this isn't a great idea. Yeah. But because, you know, her parents said no. She decided to like him, you know, she started to like him even more. Sure. And they would even exchange letters by hiding them in a book of Shakespeare that Gloyd would keep on his nightstand. Gloyd eventually decided on the town of Holden, Missouri to set up his medical practice and asked Carrie to marry him. Gloyd and Carrie married on November 21st, 1867, four days before her 21st birthday. Aww. And Gloyd ended up showing up to the wedding smelling of alcohol and cloves. Nice. Gloyd and Carrie moved to Holden shortly after getting married. Within days of their wedding, though, Carrie finally realized just how bad Gloyd's drinking was. Gloyd would often spend days at the local Masonic Lodge while he was on a drinking binge. Carrie would beg the other Mason members to help her get her husband home, but nobody would help her. After only a few months of marriage... Carrie returned to her parents' farm while she was pregnant and gave birth to a daughter she named Charlene, after Charles. Nice. (laughs) On September 27, 1868, Lloyd never met his daughter and died six months after Charlene was born. What? Records show that he died from delirium tremens or from pneumonia compounded by excessive drinking. So his alcoholism killed him. Yeah. Well, he was pretty young. Carrie enrolled... How young was he? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. The story's not about him. All I have to know is that he died. <laughs> From alcohol. That's the important part. Carrie enrolled in the State Normal School Number 2. That was the name. Oh, wow. Which is now the University of Central Missouri. So nice. they finally decided to be a little bit more creative with the name. Not too creative. Uh, yeah. Just but a more. Bit. So she went to school to obtain her teaching certificate and graduated in July of 1872. Carrie got a job teaching at an elementary school in Holden. After four years of teaching, she was fired when a school board member made objections to her teaching children unconventional pronunciations of words. So apparently she was teaching kids how to say words wrong. 
my and God. the school board member was like, well, that's not okay. Yeah. Though... The wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yeah. We can't have that. <laughs> exactly. But people, like, there was also some objection if she was actually doing that, because when she was fired, that school board member's niece was then hired to replace her. Ah. So... Maybe she did. A little bit maybe of nepotism going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably more than likely the actual. Yeah. Reason. So now, without a way to support herself and her daughter, Carrie decided it was time to find another husband. Well, tried having a job. That didn't work out. Right. Time to just get married again. Oh. So Carrie married David Nation on December thirtieth, eighteen seventy four. Woo, David Nation. <laughs> David Nation. Wow, 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 wow. I feel like there should be like a electric like a, guitar. Yeah, riff there. <laughs> that was that was the, what that sound was. I, I thought that was a cat. <laughs> a dying cat. Mm. <laughs> ah, maybe just a cat. <laughs> um. So Carrie had met David Nation. When he had handled her legal affairs, <laughs> just every time you say his name, uh, when he had handled her legal affairs after Gloyd's death, mm. yeah, David was nineteen years older than Carrie and was a widower, widower with a four-year-old daughter named Lola. Wow. Yeah, I think they were they weren't in love. They were both just trying to get by. Get by. You know, he was like, I'm a single dad with a four-year-old daughter. Yeah. You're a single mom with a daughter. Let's, mm. you know, get married. So, yeah. you know, you need money. I need a wife. Yeah. Kind of thing. In 1877, David bought a cotton farm in Texas and moved the family there. When the cotton farm business didn't work out because he didn't really know how to farm cotton. <laughs> he Surprise. Left, yeah. He left the family there and moved up by himself to Brazoria, Texas, to set up a law practice, while Carrie began to manage a rundown hotel in Columbia, Texas, to help with the finances. In 1879, Carrie bought a hotel in Richmond, Texas. This was also around the time that Carrie had started to have dreams and visions that she was sure were prophetic. Hmm. In 1889, David accepted a minister position in Medicine Lodge, Kansas. Really, he does everything. Just a little bit of everything. Well, that was back in the days of, you want to be a doctor, you went and got a apprenticeship. Back in the days when you wanted to be a doctor, you just said you were a doctor. Oh. <laughs> Same thing with being a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. I read a law book once. Yeah. People would be like, all right, you're a lawyer. And you just told people what you were and they believed you. Mm-hmm. Carrie moved to Medicine Lodge to be with David shortly after. Both Charlene and Lola were married at this time and stayed in Texas. This was also around the time that Carrie's mother was placed into a mental institution in Nevada, Missouri, where she would spend the rest of her life. Carrie was soon known as Mother Nation by her husband's church members because of all of her charity work with the poor. Carrie would also write sermons for David, but she would cut him off while he was giving the sermons in church when she felt that he had talked long enough. So she would write them for him. Then he'd start to give them, and she'd be like, all right, everybody's bored. You're doing a bad job. Mm-hmm. And she would literally walk up to the pulpit, close his Bible, and escort him out of the church. Nice. So, that's got to be a little embarrassing. Yeah. If you're David Nation. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie's charity work included being a jail evangelist, where she would visit prisoners and preach to them. Carrie listened to many prisoners blaming alcohol as the reason they were locked up. 
So when Carrie heard about the Women's Christian Temperance Union, or WCTU, as I will continue to refer to it as, she... The WICTU? What? The WICTU? WICTU. She decided to start a chapter in Medicine Lodge in 1892. The, w- <laughs> the WCTU's stated purpose was to create a sober and pure world by abstinence, purity, and evangelical Christianity and called for the entire prohibition of the manufacture and sale of intoxicating liquors as a beverage. The WCTU saw alcohol as the cause of many of society's problems. Hmm. Since 1881, Kansas had a constitutional amendment that banned the manufacture or sale of alcohol except for medicinal, scientific, or mechanical purposes. So there's already a prohibition in Kansas at this time. However, nobody in Kansas really took the amendment very seriously, and there were several saloons across the state. Hmm. So people were like, there's prohibition, but we're just not going to follow the rules, and nobody really cares. Since it was just ratified under the state constitution and not the... Yeah, and so... The big K. Yeah, so basically, technically there's prohibition, but nobody really followed the law. And Yeah, it was a state. It was a state prohibition. Yeah, but I'm saying, you know... Even state law, some people, <laughs> some state laws you follow. But anyways, um, Carrie went to local authorities to shut down these saloons, but they ignored her. So Carrie and other members of the local WCTU chapter stood outside of the saloons and prayed, preached, and sang, hoping to keep people from going inside. However, most people just ignored them and ke- and kept drinking anyways. Carrie began to greet bartenders in the street with good morning, destroyer of men's souls. So, she's a... Pleasant woman. Yeah. Carrie began to travel to nearby communities and give sermons on the evils of alcohol, and she began to gain a following. In 1899, Kane and WCTU members went into a saloon owned by a man named Matt Strong. They began to sing and pray in the saloon, and Matt Strong got mad that they were upsetting his customers. So he threw Carrie Nation out into the street. A crowd quickly formed outside of the saloon and fistfights broke out between Carrie's supporters and saloon goers. After the fights were broken up, police closed strong saloons. Because they're like, alright dude, the reason the fight broke out is because you have a saloon. Saloons are against the law, so yeah, we're going to close un- you now. Unenforced. But now they're, try- they're, now they're starting to enforce it. Mm. So, this gave Carrie a boost in confidence, and she used the same tactics on the rest of the saloons and medicine lodge, along with physicians that would prescribe alcohol and pharmacists that would fill the prescriptions. It didn't take long until Carrie had shut down every saloon and medicine lodge. On June 6, 1900, Carrie woke up from a dream when she heard a voice saying, Go to Kiowa, I'll stand by you. Carrie obviously took this as a message from God, as you do. So she hooked up her horse to her buggy and set out for Kiowa alone. While making her way there, Carrie had visions of evil creatures trying to block her on the road, but when she prayed, an angel would appear to scare off the evil creatures. So you have to wonder if she's not also having dealing with, yeah, dealing with some psychosis like her mom. Yeah. As soon as she arrived in Kiowa, Carrie made her way to Jasper Dobson's saloon. She took some bricks into the saloon with her and started smashing the mirror behind the bar and all the liquor bottles. So, like, people in there have to be like, oh, look at this lady coming with bricks. What, wait, what are you doing? Yeah. 
Yes. Wait, what, what, what? She then moved on to two other saloons and broke all of their mirrors and bottles. Carrie stood in the middle of the street and declared that she had broken no laws because the saloon owners and law enforcement that had failed to prosecute the saloon owners were the lawbreakers. This seemed to actually convince authorities, and they didn't arrest her. Instead, they issued warrants to the saloons in town and closed them all down. They're like, oh yeah, no, she's in the right. (laughs) We were bad. So Carrie prayed and asked God where she should go next. The day after Christmas in 1900, Carrie went to Wichita, Kansas. She went to one of the nicer hotels in town, the Hotel Carrie. Mm. When Carrie saw that the bar in the Hotel Carrie sold liquor and had a painting of a naked Cleopatra, she decided that this was good a place as any to start her destruction in Wichita. That night, Carrie came back to the bar with bricks, an iron rod, and her cane. She first destroyed the painting and then took out the mirror and the liquor bottles. The police arrived and arrested her. Carrie told them, You put me in here, a cub, but I will go out a roaring lion, and I will make all hell howl. Carrie was charged with malicious destruction of property, which Carrie countered she had destroyed property that was malicious. After smashing the Hotel Carrie, the National WCTU organization took notice of Carrie, and she began to get national attention. There were op-eds written about her in papers. Some praised her actions, while others condemned them. An editor for the Emporia Gazette wrote, Hurrah for Carrie! She has aroused the law-abiding people of Kansas to the disgrace of lawbreakers, partly by her own lawlessness. In the Wichita Eagle, an editor called her crazy, and even went so far as to say she was being kept in a padded cell, and that it would only be a matter of time until she would be in the insane asylum. Some people were like, She's great. And other people are like, she's crazy. Yeah, just depending on what... How you feel about prohibition, probably. How much you partook. Right, exactly. In the devil's tea. Yeah. After being released from jail, Carrie was invited to speak at a WCTU meeting in Wichita. At this meeting, Carrie recruited four women to help her in her destruction of saloons. On January 21st, 1901... The women destroyed two bars using random tools from their homes while Carrie used a hatchet. Carrie and the women were arrested and jailed for a short amount of time, but were were released when they promised that they wouldn't smash any more bars in Wichita. So Carrie moved on to Enterprise, Kansas, and tried destroying a tavern there. That, That tavern owner heard that Carrie was coming and had female friends there that punched Carrie hit her with whips, kicked her, pulled her hair, and threatened to kill her. They're like, I can't hit a lady, so I have to get my lady friends to to come beat Carrie up. He asked the matron to get some ladies. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is that what it was? Basically, yeah. So, Carrie gets beat up. She moves on. (laughs) Apparently, Enterprise wasn't the next best place to... Was Try your saloon smashing. Yeah. So, Carrie moved on to Holt, Kansas, and then Topeka. Carrie and her supporters tried to enter several saloons in Topeka, but were unsuccessful. At one saloon, the owner's mistress hit Carrie in the head with a broomstick four times and opened up a deep gash on her head. So, Carrie decided to take her fight to the state legislature. Carrie yelled at state legislators and the governor for not enforcing the ban on alcohol. Carrie then organized her supporters into a group called the Home Defenders Army, 
which also received the nickname the Hatchet Brigade. Because Carrie would now carry a hatchet into every saloon that she visited to destroy it. That's pretty intimidating. It is very intimidating. And she would also... So she's older by this time. Yeah. She's getting... I don't remember what her age is, but she's getting she's getting up there in age. So she's kind of she has weird filed down teeth, and she's kind of this grumpy looking old lady that wears all black and she carries a hatchet mm-hmm. and just starts smashing stuff. I'm thinking that she's a witch or possessed. Yeah. The so the hatchet brigade had between 200 and 500 members that would help Carrie destroy saloons. On February 5th, 1901, Carrie and three other members of the WCTU went into a saloon called the Senate that was called that because several of the state's legislators would go there to drink. (laughs) Nation later described the incident. I ran behind the bar, smashed the mirror and all the bottles under it, picked up the cash register, threw it down, then broke the faucets of the refrigerator, opened the door and cut the rubber tubes that conducted the beer. Of course, it began to fly all over the house. I threw over the slot machine, breaking it up, and I got it. I got from it a sharp piece of iron, which I opened the bungs of the beer kegs, and opened the faucets of the barrels, and then the beer flew in every direction, and I was completely saturated. <laughs> I'm just oh. imagine, imagining this giant, yeasty, delicious-smelling mess. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then I forgot to say... She was also over six foot tall. Oh, really? So, she's this massive lady. Yeah. And people are like, she's really strong. She towers over she, them. Yeah, she's this huge old lady that wears all black and carries a hatchet. <laughs> Carrie was arrested after destroying the Senate, but the police chief sympathized her with her cause and then released her. The police chief then ordered all bars in Topeka to be closed by February 15th, 1901, and to have all of their bar supplies out of town by then, too. On February 12, 1901, the State Temperance Union Convention awarded Carrie a gold medal with the inscription, The Bravest Woman in Kansas. Carrie continued her raids of saloons across the state of Kansas. She gained more followers, but the WCTU started to see Carrie and her destruction of property as an embarrassment and decreased their support of her. Carrie addressed the WCTU's lack of support of her actions and wrote, Our mothers and grandmothers who went into saloons praying and spilling the poison slop of these houses of crime and tears were blessed in their deeds. Oh, that the WCTU would do as they did. What a reform would take place. I love the organization of mothers. I love their holy impulses. But I am heartsick at their conventionality, their red tape. The organization could put out of existence every drinking hell in the United States if they would demand it and use the power they have even without the ballot. So even though she is obviously disappointed in the WCTU, Carrie kept her WCTU membership for the rest of her life and often gave the organization money and property. But a lot of that quote is saying like, because that was another thing is women still didn't have the right to vote. Mm -hmm. So... It was like, well, we can't, you know, vote for prohibition or, you know, vote in legislators to put in prohibition nationwide. So this is kind of women's only choice is just to destroy it. (laughs) So Carrie quickly became a popular speaker and was invited to give speeches across the United States and even in Canada. She would wear all black and take a hatchet with her. Carrie would make between $75 and $100 which is about 
2300 and 3100 today for each speaking engagement. Wow. And she would also sell miniature hatchets for 25 cents a piece. So about for about $8 today. David Nation. Wow. <laughs> oh wait, no that wasn't it. David Nation. There, I like that one. Wrote to Carrie that he would seek a divorce if she didn't stop her lecture circuit and come home. So with the money to be able to support herself, Carrie and David divorced on November 27th, 1901, on the grounds of desertion. Carrie wrote, For years I never saw a loving husband that I did not envy the wife. It was a cry of my heart for love. I used to ask God why he denied me this. I can see now why it was. I know it was God's will for me to marry Mr. Nation. Had I married a man, <laughs> had I married a man I could have loved, God could have never used me. Carrie continued to travel and speak to crowds and would try to convince saloon owners to close their bars, even in states without prohibition laws, which I'm sure that went over really well. Yeah. Where she had no basis. Yeah. She was usually either barred from entering the saloons or arrested. Carrie would use the money she made from speaking to pay her court fines. It is estimated that Carrie was arrested close to 100 times. Dang. Carrie was invited to speak at universities, including Harvard and Yale. Some students would come to listen in earnest, but many students came to her speeches just to make fun of her. Because, you know, college kids. Yeah. You're telling college kids that they shouldn't drink? Yeah. Yeah. That went over. Sure. In 1903, a group of students at Yale asked if she would take a photo with them. Just as the picture was being taken, the students struck poses that looked like they were drunk, and some of them took out cigarettes, which Carrie also hated. So they're like, ready, cheese, and then they're like, whoa. Classic, classic Yale college kids. Photo (laughs) bombing. Yeah. There was also a short film called Kansas Saloon Smashers, that showed a group of women all wearing black destroying a saloon. In 1903, Carrie had the spelling of her first name changed. Wait, where, where did this movie come from? Oh, it was just just another example of her in, um, like popular culture. Called culture, yeah. Like she's popular. And I think the Kansas Saloon Smashers was more of a um, oh, like a satire. Okay. Yeah. So, in 1903, Carrie had the spelling of her first name changed from C-A-R-R-I-E, like you would think the name Carrie would be spelled, Mm -hmm. to C-A-R-R-Y, so that her name was Carrie A. Nation. Aww. Because she believed it was her God-given mission to carry a nation to Prohibition. So, yeah, in November 1908, Carrie went on a lecture circuit through Scotland, England, and Ireland and would speak to Prohibition. Oh, I'm sure that went over real well. Right, yeah, especially Ireland, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, all three of them. Yeah. After Carrie would, yeah, well, let me get to this part. (laughs) After Carrie would give her speeches to the Prohibition groups, she would also try to find and lecture people about the evils of alcohol that she thought needed her message. So... There's groups, prohibition groups, that asked her to speak to them. So she'd speak to them, be met with applause, and then she'd go find people that were, like, obviously drinking and like to drink, and she'd tell them about the evils of alcohol. Mm. And from those people, she was usually met with those people throwing rotten eggs and vegetables at her. So. Mm, I get it. That makes sense. Yeah. 
After returning to the United States, Carrie settled down in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and opened a house she called Hatchet Hall that would take in alcoholics as boarders. In January 1911, Carrie was giving a speech in Eureka Springs when she collapsed on stage. She was taken to a hospital in Leavenworth, Kansas, where she stayed until she died on June 2, 1911. Carrie was buried next to her mother in Belton, Missouri, but her grave was left unmarked until 1924 because they were afraid that people would vandalize her grave. When a tombstone was finally put up, it read, Faithful to the cause of prohibition, she hath done what she could. In 1919, eight years after Carrie A. Nation died, the United States Congress ratified the 18th Amendment to the Constitution, which banned the manufacture, transportation, and sale of intoxicating liquors. This amendment is also known as Prohibition. Prohibition came to an end in 1933 when Congress ratified the 21st Amendment. And that is the story of Carrie A. Nation. <laughs> so it's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, she's kind of the one that led that led a huge part of the prohibition movement initially. Cause, initially, because I kind of feel like you know you think about prohibition and it didn't last for very long, Mm-mm. considering you know how long compared to how long the United States has been a nation. Mm-hmm. Like prohibition did not last very long at all. And I always kind of thought, you know, who would even put that into place? Right. And so, I don't know. I thought it was kind of interesting to see how the movement gained traction, especially from a little crazy old lady wielding a hatchet. Right. <laughs> Just their leader. Who's, who's, who got her way through destruction. Yeah, exactly. So, now that we're at the end of our story... Would you like to answer the quiz question from before? Abraham Lincoln. No. But he was murdered. He was murdered, but the bulletproof vest had not been invented invented yet. Uh. It was actually President William McKinley. Ah. So, uh, the inventor of the bulletproof vest, he was like, this is great. The president needs one. He went to the White House to present the president with one. President McKinley's secretary informed the inventor that President William McKinley was out of town, but she would give it to him once he got back. President McKinley at the time was in Buffalo, New York at the Pan Am Expo where he was shot and he died eight days later from the bullet wound. So he had like a bulletproof vest waiting Waiting for for him him. in Washington, D.C. And he just... Day late and a dollar short. No <laughs> kidding. So wow. Let's see. My sources for this story were Carrie A Nation Retelling the Life by Fran Grace. Carrie Nation, the Kansas Cyclone by Patricia Ashman and Feminist Frontiers, Women Who Shaped the Midwest. Activist Carrie Nation used a hatchet to smash booze bottles before prohibition by Aaron Blakemore. Use and Need of the Life of Carrie A. Nation by Carrie A. Nation. So, if you would like to follow us on social media to see what we're up to, we post stuff there once a week, twice a week sometimes. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you would like to support this podcast, we're on Patreon.com. Just go there and search for America the Bazaar. The link is also below in the show notes. 
If you guessed right that it was President William McKinley, please let us know. Reach out to us. Direct message us and let us know or post about it. What's that face for? Hey, I got your question right. Yeah. (laughs) Or if you have a quiz question that you would like us to ask. If you got it right, just let us know and we can give you a shout out. Mm. It's not that weird. Mm. Anything else? Did I miss? No? Not that I can think of. Alright. Well, also, let me know if you just didn't like the quiz question. We'll just snicks that out of there for the future. But until next time, stay stay weird, weird, America. America.